Hello, and welcome to B2B Craftworks, a podcast about business writing. This is Sarah Grusebach, founder of the B2B Writing Institute, and this is our Friday update for September 2nd. It's a long weekend in the U.S. for Labor Day, and I took advantage of that. I took advantage of it in two ways. This ends up being my favorite kind of day because it's the best of both worlds. So I wake up and I'm just in family life like I don't have a job. And I got to have breakfast with everybody. We played around the house a little bit. Magnetiles are really big right now in our family. And then we went to a close by playground that the kids go to a lot and I've never been to. So I got to see how they play there. But then right as I was getting cranky and a little overtired and wanting some coffee and some quiet time, I had to go into the office. (laughs) So the second way I took advantage of that is to have a couple hours of quiet focus on work stuff on a day when really all of my clients are out of the office. Very few people are expecting emails today. So it just ends up feeling like it's quiet and I'm behind the scenes and I can work undistracted. And that's been the case. So it's been a real, really nice work day. I'm going to start the podcast today with just one of the weirdest things I've ever done in my life. (laughs) That still is pretty weird. But I think it's important to share because we don't always learn how to enjoy ourselves or to be proud of ourselves. I certainly didn't. I just thought you do the thing on the list. The satisfaction of a job well done is what you take home with you. And then it's over. You move to the next thing on the list. But lately, I've been hugging myself. It's really weird, but I literally will wrap my arms around my arms and squeeze and just give myself a hug when something good happens. Really, I wonder why I didn't think of it sooner, but I think the realities of COVID and just how much alone time we spend, it just doesn't make sense anymore to only celebrate with other people or at a party once a year. That might not even be once a year because nobody's met in person for a while. So life's too short. We're alone too much. I would encourage you to find a really weird way to celebrate too, because I've I've done it like three times in the past week and it's awesome. <laughs> the other thing I do is I I kind of feel the buzz of whatever happy thing is happening and I just kind of like focus on that feeling and inhale. Okay, now it's getting really weird, but basically like cigarette smoke, I'll inhale that fun feeling and it's just like feeling butterflies all over the place. It's really nice. And I think this has let me prolong the feeling of good things that happen the way I've always naturally prolonged the feeling of bad things that happen. We all know what it's like to feel stress or to see someone calling us and be anxious about that. But we don't know what it's like to feel a good thing and let it linger and really have that experience inside of us. I don't know. I've, it's super weird. I think it's been working really well for me. Find a weird way to celebrate. But the cool thing is, I think the kind of people who listen to this podcast are willing to do weird things and try new things that might work out. And I say that because so many of us have tried the old way of doing things, and it just really sucks. Like, it it just sucks. There's no other way to put that. So the really strict work environment, doing work you don't love, being away from your kids doing work you don't love, it's just not working for all of us. And so we're here because we're trying to figure out a different way. But what's also interesting is that we bring these mindsets about productivity and achievement and success 
from the old world and we try to bring it to the new world. And then we just feel like crap all the time because we are measuring ourselves in a world where there is no checklist for a freelance writing career. Like you, you either make it happen or you don't. And that blurry time while you're making it happen, there's no checklist to go through and say, I do blank. I set up my site. I send this note and I'll get this response. That's just not how it works when you come out into this side of the world. I'm seeing is we think there's a right and a wrong, and we just need to learn what that right and wrong is, but that doesn't exist. And so it can be really frustrating to get pulled through that space and time of in between right and wrong and not really being sure what the next step is. But the secret is the only way to actually learn this stuff and to know what that next step is and to confidently walk forward and all that is to become the kind of person who knows what the next step is. There's literally no one who can teach you what the next step is. By that, I mean no one can teach you the right next step for you because it could be any number of all these different steps. Like for you, it could be processes and templates. It could be capacity planning in your schedule. It could be just your website not being a good fit for the people you're trying to get hired by. It could be just how long it takes you to write something and the quality of the writing that you're doing. There's no way to know until you can step back and look at what you're doing, decide for yourself whether it's right or not. You just become the person who makes the decision. I don't think I've ever shared this story before, but when I read women's magazines back in the day, I'll always remember the only time I ever came across something that was actually original, unique, and helpful. And like time stopped. I was amazed. It was, it was something as simple like us or women's world or something like that. And it was an interview with someone who was the design specialist or lead designer. I'm not sure what they call it in the, the publication world. But she was saying that one of the things she had to learn as a leader was how to make decisions. And when she was stuck between two covers, this was the example that she gave, she was presented with a cover that had the model dressed all in green, and she was presented with a cover that had the model dressed all in white. And what she said then was just amazing, stuck with me 15 years later, was that both covers were amazing. Both covers were designed by the best designers, the best photographers, the best fashion people. You can tell this is not my industry. And so her job was to look at these two excellent covers and make one of them better, come up with the reasoning inside herself and figure out why she recommends or chooses one cover over the other. And that has stuck with me so much because it seems like such a small little thing, but it really highlights this idea that when you get into progressively more difficult situations or when you advance in your career, you leave the point where there's an actual clear right or wrong. And it just becomes about you and your ability to explain your decisions and decide what the right path is. And that's why so many writing coaches and teachers and everything, that's why everybody harps on mindset and limiting beliefs and things like that, because it's just not possible to walk into a freelance writing career and click a button and have the right result. You have to become the kind of person who can find a button to push and decide if they like those results or not, and then to figure out a different way to do it next time. And I think that's why a lot of us end up freelancing, even when we're extremely successful, our origin story is being laid off or let go or fired or something like that, because something had to happen 
for us to be so desperate to learn these lessons and to jump in without any preconceived limitations or notions or anything. Something has to happen for us to be that brave. And there are a few brave people who figure it out and do it voluntarily, but that is something common I see in people who, who came to this because we were let go. All right, I got a little ahead of myself because usually I start out with my 4,000 weeks update, which is really the leisure life update. And it's been really great still. So I'm going like a month and a half having my world rocked by Oliver Berkman's 4,000 weeks. What I've been thinking about lately is how this mindset shift has me protecting myself from work better, which is really interesting because I love work, especially the B&B Writing Institute stuff that I do. All of this work has always been passion-driven, and so I feel like my best self when I'm doing this work. And so <laughs> cutting off the times that I feel like my best self, that was really difficult and obviously led to overwork, and that was going to take me down a bad path of burnout and not being there for my family and different things like that. So part of the process of working less has actually been to separate myself from my enjoyment of my work which is very dissociative and it feels uncomfortable still, but the benefits are amazing. So the past few weekends, from Friday around 3 p.m. to Monday at like 9 a.m., I just can't get myself to want to focus on work. And it feels like I've done such a better job of protecting myself and my, my free time from overwork that when I do get to work, the feelings there are much better too. So it, it ends up being this win-win thing where I'm working less, so the time I do work is more concentrated, and I have more energy to do what I need to do. I would say I'm doing less. If you look at my week-by-week -week productivity, I don't look at it, but if I had to guess, I'd say I'm less productive. But the quality of what I'm doing, how I feel when I'm doing it, I think I've just recalibrated to an accurate amount of work that someone can do in a week. So I still count that as a win. This is different kind of advice than what we're going to see if we look at Forbes or the Wall Street Journal for success practices for business. But I think we have to start drawing a line between capital B businesses and enterprise companies that are going to have funding and multiple people working on stuff and working as a team to finish things and what we're doing, which is a solopreneur, consultant, highly paid expert, that kind of work. It requires a different approach. I don't think we can have as many sprints. I don't think we can guarantee a certain outcome each week. I think we have to build our business in a way that lets us have periods of high variation in our output. And I have not done that yet. So please don't <laughs> don't think I am trying to tell anyone how to do that. But I do see that as the goal now, whereas before, I probably would have told you I was trying to increase processes and do the capacity planning to make myself more consistent. I don't think that's the goal anymore. I think I still want a consistent income, but I want to be able to have a highly variable work schedule and have it not stress me out or affect my income. I think that's my new goal. And as long as I'm ranting, I think that is why it's so important people charge more not just charge more, but also learn more about what they're doing in B2B marketing, B2B writing, so that they are worth more and charge more. Those are really, those are two separate activities. Because if we come in without a lot of knowledge and without doing that labor to be skilled at what we do, and we just start charging more, 
that's not going to feel good for us. That's not going to lead to good client outcomes. But if we can spend that time actually getting better at what we do, practicing our craft, staying on top of principles for doing what we do well, and we learn to charge for our time, that is how you have a long-term successful business. A lot of the new member intake forms that I'm seeing for the Institute, it's a very common challenge of being a talented writer, having a history of good writing, knowing that there's potential in B2B and freelancing, and then just not having that confidence or not having that knowledge to actually pitch higher paying work and bigger projects. Because it's one thing to do $50 an hour work on the side of a full-time job. That's really exciting. And that can lead to a lot of financial progress for people. But when you want to make this a career and a full-time living, it's scary, but that's just not enough. Even five hours a week at a wonderful rate is not going to be enough. What I'm trying to get at is for new writers coming into the space, it's really intimidating to see people charging higher numbers and then to feel that pressure to charge higher numbers yourself. And the message I want to get across is you really have to charge higher numbers. You can also do work to be worth those higher numbers. So it's a two-part process for doing this long-term. Another part of doing this long-term that has been coming up a lot lately is just that conversation about niching. Writers, especially new writers, the idea of limiting the kind of clients that can come to us feels very uncomfortable. It feels like the opposite of what we're trying to do. Of course, I get that. But I don't think we're looking at it from the client's perspective enough. And here's an example to help us do that. So let's say you're walking down the street and you need to go inside a house because you really need some water and you just somehow all of these houses have water. And you walk by this one house and it has got a lot going on. It's got ramps coming up the front. It's got ladders coming in the side windows. It's got this whole ivy vine thing, like climbing up to the top with steps. So you could get up onto the roof and go into the little hole windows that are at the top, like those weird houses around the U.S. I think it's called a witch's window. Anyway, so you see there's five million ways to get inside this house. It looks very easy to get inside this house. But that introduces two problems. First, you don't know how to get in the house. You don't know which ramp you should take. Should you go in the second floor? Should you go in the window? Should you go in the front? I don't know. Second part, probably the biggest problem, do you want to go in that house? <laughs> you walk up to the house and there's 50 different ways to get inside. You're not really going to have trust that you want to be in that house or who else will be in that house with you or what's inside that house. I don't know. It can't be too valuable if there's that many different things going on. You're going to keep walking and you're going to choose another house. The house you're going to choose, man, a nice house with one walkway, one clear walkway, maybe a little sign that says, hello, your name, welcome to the house, we're expecting you. Those are the things that make you want to go into that house and get some water. You want one warm, welcoming walkway. And that is how clients are looking at our websites. Very few really good clients don't want to come to your website and see that you write email copy, case studies, blogs, tweets, research reports for any industry that comes across your law. There will be some clients that want that. I can almost guarantee you those clients are going to have a bunch of red flags going on because if they don't care about the quality of your work or who you're working with, they aren't going to pay for high quality work. 
they're, they may even assume you don't have anything better to do because you're doing anything for anyone. So I might approach that and go into it almost like the maturity level of our own houses. If you follow like maybe a path like I did, which is in college, the door was probably open most of the time. There was a couch on the porch, which looking back, the couch was there for years in Virginia, winter, summer, spring, fall, everything. So that couch was probably disgusting. But I didn't think about that when I sat on it and drank my coffee when I was in college. But back then, really early on, there was a lot of access to that house, and that was fine. And I see that as kind of first couple of years freelancing, you do want to do a lot of different kind of projects for a lot of different kind of clients, but you also don't have high expectations around the pay, right? You're just grateful for what comes your way. As you get more expensive stuff in that house, as you want more privacy, like all of these things that go into the maturity of choosing a house. It's the same thing for freelancing. Over time, you want to do fewer formats for people. You want to specialize. You want to be an in-demand person for a certain kind of writing. You want to do it for fewer industries. You don't want to have to restart learning a niche every single time you write a $200 blog post. It's going to take too much time. It's not going to be profitable for you. You want to be charging more for areas where you are a specialist. And in that time, over the arc of your career, you're doing fewer things. You're specializing in those things. You're charging a higher rate for those things. It's requiring more expertise, but perhaps less time and effort. And that is how you are becoming profitable. That's how you are getting this margin in your life for more income, less work time, more flexibility, more freedom. But here is a really, really cool part of that story, of that metaphor. Because if you picture that one welcoming walkway, a beautiful house, everything's curated, it's maintained, it's very appealing. Anyone can still walk in that house. Like, just because it's particularly welcoming to one kind of person, it doesn't necessarily detract from anyone coming to that house if they specifically want to work with you. And that's why I think new writers might not understand all the time, which is that even when you niche into a really specific subject matter, people who want talented writers in the B2B space will be willing to overlook that really specific signage if the whole other package looks really welcoming. So my example is going to be, I have niched pretty specifically in HR, digital marketing, higher education, and retail for the past couple of years. I can still land healthcare clients. I can still land digital charity clients because they see this track record of expertise in complex B2B fields. So even though I have not niched specifically in those things, I guess at this point I have that expertise, but the only way I got into those projects was by leveraging my experience in other niches. But if I had gone into these engagements saying, I can write about anything for anyone, hire me, that probably wouldn't have gotten me into those projects. And that's for better or worse, because I can't say any behavior from clients is right or wrong. I just, it's speaking from my experience. Because I always want to stay sensitive to that feeling that no one will hire you without experience, but you can't get experience if no one will hire you. And it's a dance that still goes on in freelance writing. But when you lean into the B2B side of things and writing for that executive audience, that becomes this bridge experience that you can bring from niche to niche. So it's almost like any investment in learning in B2B can feed any niche that you want to come across because it all ends up being complex and written for the executives, which is just different from B2C. 
All right, I'm going to leave it there today. I've got some thank you notes to write for new members of the B2B Writing Institute. So many, in fact, that I have finally run out of stamps from the original bundle of stamps that I bought for all of my notes from the Institute. I shared that on LinkedIn, and I'm getting some kudos from people who've gotten notes in the past, and I just love that. And it's, a, it's just a good reminder that there's no way to hack helping people. This has been a really what feels like a slow journey over the past couple of years to get this up and running. And sometimes it seems like you should be able, and there's a lot of parallels for a writing career with what I'm doing with the Institute, actually. But it seems like you should just land some VC money and invest a bunch in marketing and then success is inevitable. But that's not the business model that I've chosen for the Institute. That's not what we're choosing as writers. There's no way to just spend a couple thousand on LinkedIn ads and then have a full pipeline of writing clients because there are so many different pieces of that process. And there's so much that has to be true about you as far as your intention to write and your desire to help and the people that you want to work with. It feels like it's going slow. Maybe this is just our rallying cry that good things take time and it's okay to be slow. And we need to focus more on feeling good while things are happening slowly. That's what I'm taking away from this. <laughs>